This is episode number 262. How powerful is your brain? With Dr. Eric Rees. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Odds podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to all of our listeners to our upcoming weekly conversation that takes place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, hosted through Facebook or LinkedIn Live, called Survive to Thrive, Live the Story You Create. What this is, is a series of conversations where we explore the connection between our personal narratives as well as the topics of appreciation, grief, resilience, gratitude, and many other topics. If this is of interest to you, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today, where you'll be able to find the latest details regarding the upcoming conversation. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our work, and that is if our work has had any form of impact in your life or helped you see your world through a different lens, please consider supporting our mission by making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today so we can continue inspiring and impacting millions of people around the world. Now, let's get back to the show. Dr. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for the podcast prior to our podcast with all the different questions and this topic that I've been wanting to explore with you, it's, it's been fascinating to me for a couple of different reasons, probably for many years, if I'm being honest about it. And it's that connection between the brain and one's personal narrative. I, I know that you probably share a similar belief as well as many of the listeners of this show, and that's your story can truly either create or destroy your experience on this planet. And so I've been really curious and I'm fortunate to experience this conversation now as far as the impact that the brain has. But before we get into that, I wanted to kind of explore some of my own personal myths that I've heard over the years. And the first one being that you as an individual only use 10% of your brain. Is that really true to begin with? It's a, it's a fun saying to say, but it is <laughs> fortunately and unfortunately not true. Um, I, and it's interesting enough that we bring this up in conversation because I think a lot of people still do think there's truth to it. So uh, those, my understanding of this is that those early studies where they came about with that saying, they were doing histological studies and they were staining different types of tissue in the brain. And what they found is that 10% of the brain uh, was comprised of, of, of uh, neural cell bodies. Um, specifically, they called it gray matter. And so when they took all of this neural tissue, they saw this and they're like, oh, well, there's, you know, 10% of this is, is gray matter in the brain. Um, and so that's hence, hence the term. Uh, fortunately, you use all the nerves, you use all the tissue, uh, your brain and from a, you know, evolutionary standpoint, we're just too efficient to not use everything. So it's there for a reason. Um, and that could be argued to a point by, by some, some people, but, 
um, you, you have an amazing capacity from a neurological perspective, even from a structural perspective uh, and from a healing perspective too. Um, we know that the brain and body uh, will, will heal on their own to a point. And so the, the goal with medicine and goal of therapy and rehab and nutrition, and all these things we attribute to medicine is really to help facilitate that process, right? We want to streamline it or make it more efficient so we can have more healing and a higher quality of life. Um, in the, the example I give people is, uh, you know, you have a lot of things that you take for granted until you lose them, right? You haven't, hopefully you haven't thought about having to put any more effort towards digesting food this morning or balancing your blood sugar or which <laughs> muscles you need to fire to stay seated and hold yourself up. And even from a neurological perspective, right? You really haven't had to think too much about fixating your eyes on a tar target or making eye contact or, you know, things we really genuinely take for granted until we lose them. Um, and this is really apparent with patients that I work with. I work with a lot of uh, concussions and brain injuries and people who struggled with re, you know, strokes and vertigo and a lot of just brain-based trauma. Uh, the real world becomes very chaotic relatively quickly after you have trauma to the brain and to the body because these simple processes that we used to take for granted become very apparent and become dysfunctional. And good luck trying to be able to use these higher levels that we attribute to cognition and, and thinking and, and being able to be creative, um, you know, when, when, when you're kind of stuck just trying to figure out the baseline things. So one of the examples I give uh, patients and um, some of the individuals that we're starting to work with with Nobody Studios is uh, your brain's kind of like a house, right? So the first thing we would decide to do if we built a house is we build a really stable foundation. And in that foundation, a lot of times we put a lot of things down there that we need, but we don't want to look at. That's plumbing, that's heating, that's electricity, that's sewage, that's running water, things along those lines. Well, the equivalent for that for you as a human is balancing your blood pressure, your digestion, heart rate regulation, really simple visual uh, you know, head, neck, eye reflexes that you shouldn't really have to think about. And so as you start building these layers on top of the brain in these foundational levels, we kind of metaphorically live in the third story of the house. We'll call it the VIP suite. And that's where we all live cognitively. We have beliefs and thoughts and values and gives us the ability to have this conversation right here. Um, that's amazing. But if you're in, living in your third story of your house and all of a sudden your basement floods, you don't just hang out upstairs and hope somebody handles that. <laughs> you have to start allocating resources and you, you know, go get a shop vac or you go get a sump pump and you start taking measures to go and go downstairs and start investing time, energy, and resources. The same thing happens with trauma, whether it's physical trauma, psychological trauma, emotional trauma, or perceived trauma, or any of the above. Your brain starts pulling resources and bandwidth from that gray matter upstairs, metaphorically, and starts putting more energy and resources downstairs to these lower levels to help you balance things. People who have problems with, um, you know, balancing their, their, their blood pressure, if it fluctuates, even heart arrhythmias can change cognitive processing, pain perception levels, things like that. So there's far more to the story than meets the eye. Uh, for those of you out there who don't have to put any extra effort to thinking about, you know, walking around the block without feeling dizzy or things like that, you're in a good spot. Um, and so I think seeing trauma and healing trauma or being a part of the healing process with trauma has really changed my perspective, not only on what our brains do, but the capacity that we all inherently carry, which in my opinion is virtually limitless. Um, if you take a look at 
the research coming out about understanding our brains and what we're really capable of. And even from a, a new neuronal growth perspective, we're finding out a lot of really interesting things that have completely shattered the norms we had in the 90s and even the early 2000s. So it's an exciting time to be looking into neuroscience and, and, and understanding the brain because it's just always changing. And I hope to continue to see that change into the future where we shatter these old norms that we thought were um, you know, kind of staples in our understanding of, of, of our capacity. What do you believe the limitations are? Is it the ones that we set upon ourselves or there are there actual legitimate limitations that are not solely set by us? Yeah, you know, you have to just, you know, from a standpoint, immediately you have to take a look at DNA, right? What, what, is, our, what is our genome and, you know, microbiome, right? Our, our bacterial uh, interaction with our DNA and our, our environments as well. Those are very key things that we're understanding play an intimate role with our developments, uh, physically, psychologically, neurologically, and even, you know, metabolically too. Um, I think that, you know, there are inherently limitations. Like I'm 5'10". I'm not going to be six foot anytime soon. I'm probably not going to be a professional <laughs> basketball player anytime soon without putting in energy and effort into, into doing that. Right. There, there are limitations. Um, when I, what I mean by the brain is being virtually limitless is that no matter who you are today, I think you can always be constantly evolving to being a better version of yourself. And this gets not only from a neurological perspective, from a, but from a theoretical and a, and a metaphorical perspective is the person you are today could be completely different um, than the person you were last week, last month, last year, right? Um, and, and hopefully you are, that's, that's a very good thing. I love the Muhammad Ali quote where he essentially states that if you're the same person you were 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, you've wasted 10, 20 or 30 years. We should be evolving. And I think as humans, we, we have evolved. We've been very effective and efficient at evolving. Um, I think the hard part for us from um, that standpoint is we think very linearly, right? So we think that we need to, you know, have this date met, or we need to be married by this point in our lives or have this much money saved up at this point. And life really works out like that. So we set ourselves up for failure in setting these expectations. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have goals because you should, but um, life will happen to you sometimes. And I'm a big believer life happens for us. And it's a, it's a blessing. Um, in that capacity, I think that we are limitless based off of looking into what we can become and what we can accomplish. We've, we've heard endless rags to riches stories of people who had all of the odds stacked against them. And all of a sudden they became a president. They became a influential business owner. They became somebody who, you know, went to space. I mean, there are so many tales uh, in, in, in our lifetime that have been told like that. Why not you? is my question. And, and why not me is really the question that I'm always trying to answer. How far can I push myself structurally, neurologically, psychologically, metabolically? I mean, all of these factors play a role in how we feel. And, you know, from a, from a clinical perspective, treating patients who have neurological damage, or they have some sort of, uh, you know, experience that has changed their, their, their neurological function. You know, I see this clinically all day, every day. From a business standpoint and from an entrepreneur standpoint, I deal with it too, right? Owning a company, being a part of the venture studio, we are continuously challenging the norms that we've set in place. And there's so many things that we take for granted once again, until we lose them. I also think too, from an industry and from a business standpoint, there are so many things that we've just settled for that haven't changed. And I'm a firm believer that when you get a group of people together who think differently and who act differently, you can get different results and you can challenge the status quo that's been established. All that involves your brain because you're using it as a tool to think and be creative. 
And we should be constantly pushing the limits of where we are at from a neurological perspective, because that's how we in induce change. Uh, and, and the beauty of that is from a neuroscience standpoint, neuroplasticity is the ultimate tool that we have in our tool belt to help us change our brains, our bodies, and really our lives. Um, so if you, if you really dive into a lot of that, and there's a lot to unpack, and I don't want to get super over anybody's head with that, just understanding the fact that your brain can change and it can change until the day you die is something that should be a light under anyone that should be igniting their fire to continue to go down that road of being a better version of themselves day in and day out. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge believer in that. I'm actually reading this book to touch upon your earlier point of surrendering to the experience, so to speak. So the, the book is called The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. I believe that he's the author. And it's just this, it's fascinating because every single time I pick it up and I start listening, I'm exactly at that same exact point. I kid you not, this morning's chapter, as I begin listening to it, he starts off by saying how for him, the path to finding the quote unquote ultimate freedom in life was about letting go of the control of the experience, letting go that the experience has to come in this particular shape or form. And if it doesn't, therefore it wasn't worth it. So for him, the question was more along the lines of not necessarily, am I disciplined enough to be able to create this possibility, but how do I let go of some of these disciplines that I'm constantly putting in front of me on a daily basis that I've got to drink water, I've got to exercise, I have to read a book, I have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be, as you described, successful. Well, that's powerful. That's success is, is measured in many of the situations, if you really think about it, at least in, in the world that we experience as many people. And then let in once you don't have one or once you don't meet one of those, according to someone else's criteria, then you no longer fit in the successful. This is a person I would want to have a conversation with. This is a person I respect X, Y, and Z. You go into the other one. Yeah. Unsuccessful, no desire. Why would I, why would I waste my time? So to speak. Success is so different for everyone too. And it should be right? Success isn't just about money or fame or you know, having a garage full of cars. Two cars would be enough for me, right? Um, for someone else, you know, Jay Leno has, you know, hundreds of cars that he loves and that's fine. That's great. Our, our definitions of success should be different and there's nothing wrong with that. Your life is your life and you only get one set of tires, right? However far, however long, however hard you want to take that, that vehicle of yours, this body, this brain that you've been given uh, is up to you. And, um, you know, I think that it's far easier said than done. And I understand that there are inherently some, you know, privileges that are, you know, coming out with, with that understanding and that perspective. But, um, you know, these are things that weren't taught to us in school. And once you start getting out of this didactic, strict educational realm of, you know, learning and reading and arithmetic and, you know, kind of going through these different phases of, of education, you kind of start getting to the real world education of, you know, what, what makes you happy? What, what do you want to pursue? Who do you want to be? Um, who do you want to be associated with? I mean, these are really powerful questions that I don't really remember being asked in school. I didn't learn it in undergrad. I definitely didn't learn it in grad school. But these are principles that are so important for us to be able to live in a society that a lot of people have never answered that question. And no wonder why we have such high, 
you know, depression and addiction rates, uh, suicide rates, all of these horrible statistics that we carry, and especially in the United States where people get so caught up in other people's perspectives and what they think other people want them to achieve or what they want them to do. When at the end of the day, sometimes other people's perspectives don't matter at all. And I'll tell you this, I've met a lot of people in my life. I don't want to be friends with every person that I've ever met. I don't want to learn from every person that I've ever met. I will never take advice from somebody that I wouldn't trade places with. And, and that's very, very rare at this point in my life now to meet somebody where I'm like, wow, they've done, they've done a lot of what I would like to do. And if I meet them, I hang on to them. I mean, and that's the beauty of where we're at today in society is that social media and all these platforms have allowed us to be able to reach out and connect with people that we would have never thought to have connected with before too. Um, you and I don't live in the same city, yet here we are having a podcast, getting to share ideas and perspectives and beliefs and, and create a, a relationship and a friendship that could, could go somewhere that you and I would have never imagined in our lifetime. That's amazing. And I think that there are so many different ways to look at how we can utilize different social media platforms and different ways to connect with people to really improve our quality of life. And that's one of the passions that we have with Nobody Studios is that we are trying to create people first companies that will not only bring value to people, but they're created through people's and people's perspectives and their negative experiences. And there are so many great ideas out there that are living in the graveyard. The graveyard is quote unquote, the most, the wealthiest, the most abundant, uh, area that is imaginable for lost ideas and great business ideas. And it's because people never chose to act on them or if they did, they just talked about it. They were never able to pursue it. I want to change that status quo. And one of the reasons why we're named Nobody Studios is because we're not about anybody. We're about everybody. It's not about one person or one ego. We're trying to change the way that we create businesses and create people first companies that have people's best minds and people's, um, you know, best perspectives in mind too. I think Patagonia is a great example of that. They are all about the environment. They're all about taking care of their customers. And, and you rarely hear bad, you know, reviews about Patagonia. Their model is scalable and, and, and accomplishable by so many other companies. It's whether or not they choose to pursue that. And, um, you know, I think for better, or for worse with my life and my life experiences, I just, people have given me so much. The, the, the least I can do is give back to people who I've met and who I haven't met to see if there's a way to create more impact that will last far longer than me. And that's always the goal. It's not about my name being on a placard. It's about changing the way that we influence other people to continue to push that envelope, whether it's in neuroscience, whether it's creating businesses, whether it's just being a good person and being a good friend or spouse. Going back to the graveyard metaphor, is there a specific place in the brain that such information is stored? Uh, yes. Yep. So your um, memories are stored in an area of your brain called your temporal lobe. Uh, there's also some important uh, connections with your hippocampus, which is think of it like think of your hippocampus kind of like a librarian, right? You know, they they take in books and they give you books. Your hippocampus kind of allows you to to store memories and receive uh, you know previous memories. Um, your frontal lobe is also involved too, and that's that's where we live cognitively. So there's there's some great neural circuitry involved with memories. I think the interesting thing with memory is the fact that our memories aren't always that accurate. And when you start digging into some of the literature uh, about 
how we frame different questions or we frame different perspectives. We can really manipulate what people think and what they remember and what they don't remember. So Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky were two amazing clinical psychologists, and they were really interested in how we make decisions. They actually won a Nobel Prize in economics for their research and understanding how people make decisions fiscally and financially with money. And so there's a, there's a thing called a framing effect. So if I give you a example of a situation that happened and I, and I told you about it, um, let's say you were there, or you, I thought you were there and I used some different terminology or different words and I tried to just get you to remember what happened. Uh, that same framing effect could have a positive or a negative consequence based off the fact that you may start remembering things that actually never happened. There are instances where people will say, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll recall a crime scene or they recall an auto accident and they'll say, uh, what, kind of, um, what kind of car was the red car? Well, there was never a red car, but people immediately will remember what kind of car the red car was. And when asked about it again later, they say, well, there was a red car there. Um, our memory is, is very valuable and it's always changing. And I think that's one of the interesting things. I mean, it's not like you don't remember who you are or when your birth date was, right? There's some very concrete dates that we have that, that will have a, a very good um, chance of being accurate for a very long time. Um, but there are always some slippery slopes out there. And I'm very curious to understand how that works, especially with marketing, especially with social influencing and giving people just false narratives. I think COVID has been a really unique uh, opportunity to witness this with people's perspectives on, um, you know, treatments and outcomes and, you know, exactly. Uh, politics is a very interesting thing too. Academia, absolutely. Um, you know, who's truly right? Well, is it really who's truly right? Or is it who's truly asking the hard questions to continue to push the agenda forward? So, um, you know, from a neuroscientific perspective, we know that the brain's always changing. We know that things are always being updated. My goal clinically uh, from a, a venture studio standpoint, nobody's studios, how can we help people update their software as efficiently as possible to be the best version of you? At the end of the day, if I'm able to accomplish that, that to me is a life worth living. Where does one begin? Where do you begin in, uh, in updating the software, so to speak? Or wherever you are. And, and I know that's a simple answer, but you can't start somewhere that you're not. Whether you are somebody who's dealing with depression, whether you are someone who just got out of a broken relationship, whether you're someone who's never really been shown right from wrong, let's say you had you know poor family growing up. Um, there's so many val you know so many factors that go into this equation, but the first thing you have to do is you just have to start. Um, I saw a something on Instagram maybe last week about the first episode of what The Simpsons looked like compared to where they're at today. If the creator of The Simpsons didn't decide to put that out there to the world and start just with whatever he had, we would never have this endless running series that, that is The Simpsons. I mean, this amazing multi-million, if not billion dollar franchise that has created uh, such an amazing culture. And so you have to start wherever you're at, you have to start today. The biggest thing is you just can't stop. There's something to be said about consistency and everyone's looking for a quick shortcut or a hack or a way to kind of get around what other people have done. Hard work will always pay off. And the argument can be made, well, you know, construction workers work a lot harder than maybe a CEO. 
Well, there's, there's truth in that. There's a difference between physical work versus cognitive work, you know, versus any other, you know, types of work you want to get involved in. And I'm not saying one is better or worse than the other, but you have to consistently put in the hours to get to where you want to be at. I can read all day about understanding how to play guitar, how to read notes, how to play chords and all that stuff. But until I actually get my hands on that fretboard, I'm not going to see much progress. You got to put in your work and you got to make mistakes. Uh, interestingly enough, our brains, from a memory standpoint, remember a lot of the mistakes that we made. Because from an evolutionary standpoint, that served us very well. Hey, don't go into that cave. There's a bear living in there. I don't want to lose my family or a limb because I made that decision twice. Perfect. Well, the same thing is true. I mean, when you have a test that you take and you get answers wrong, you will gain so much value in realizing what answers you got wrong and understanding the answer because you'll get them right the next time. This goes true for people who are currently studying for uh, academics. Take practice tests. Take them when you're completely naive. So when you get things wrong, not only do you know what to study, more importantly, too, your brain will remember that and you'll never forget it. I remember a lot of the answers that I've gotten wrong in, in school and in life with personal relationships, professional relationships. I don't always remember the good. And so that's why we kind of ruminate sometimes on these negative thoughts or experiences. Um, we're processing them and our brain is very efficient at that. There's a reason we kind of default to those negative factors. And there's a reason why news, you know, news corporations and social media platforms come out with, you know, these negative uh, titles and these different types of negative contexts because they sell. They sell based off of the emotion and how they activate our brain from, a, from an emotional standpoint. You can use that to your advantage. Uh, the hard part is you just need a little grit to continue to do that because life is a roller coaster. Entrepreneurship is a roller coaster and there will be ups and downs. But as long as you are consistently seeing that you are going up and up and up, everyone's got a different time scale and you can't base your time scale off of someone else's, even if they're a sibling or somebody who's your equivalent equal. And I think that's really where we get caught is that we struggle seeing others who are like us doing more or maybe even doing less and we feel insecure about where we're at. And you just have to realize that your story is your story to tell. So much to unpack. Where do I begin? I, I, <laughs> you I, I just have to start where you are, Oleg. There you are. I think the first thing that comes to mind is something that I've worked on for many years leading up to today. And that's being able to better understand the impact that influences and influencers have on me. And also understand something that you actually pointed out at the beginning of this conversation, and that's you don't choose to take opinion or advice from everyone. That took me a while to really understand that. And I think part of the reason why is because I do believe that every single person has the possibility to add value to your life. Now, what that value is and how you determine it is completely up to you. And that was something that I talk about limitations that I had to break through because yeah. I valued every single person's perspective the same when the reality of the matter is not everyone has lived through the experience. Not everyone half the time knows what they're talking about, mm -hmm. if we're being honest. And and I I picked this up from another video I was watching, I think it was Jim Carrey in one of his, I think it was a commencement speech. And he was talking about the process of manifestation and his story, how he wrote himself, I think it was a $10 million check. Yep. And within four years, five years, 
I think it was when the mask came out. Yep, you're he right. Was a, he was able to cash it. And so he he's giving this speech and towards the end, he says, okay, here here's the most important part. I'll tell you how exactly this process of manif- manifestation works. And then he literally just says, I have no effing idea. <laughs> I'm just saying words from, from this point. <laughs> because it's, well, it's, the truth? It, it's, it is. And I think that it's, if anything, what I've learned, and this is where I think the brain does play a critical component, and that's the desire to control the experience, the desire to know. And I've been curious about this as far as A, why, and B, what motivates that desire? Why is it that many of us, it seems like, want to know the exact X, Y, and Z? Why is it that much harder? Or for me, at least, I can't speak for anyone else, but in my experience, why is it harder for me to experience the life where I may not know things, or I may not know what is the quote unquote right answer when it comes to anything. In fact, that's one of the biggest things that I started to learn as I quote unquote became an adult, whatever that means, is that that whole thing of right answer or the desire to be right, it's no longer as great as it used to be. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, adulting is should be it should be a class that they teach you in elementary <laughs> middle high and then even college right um because it's so different for everybody I, I i struggle with that too you know i um thought that i was supposed to have all the answers and sometimes i still think i do i think the older that i get the more i realize it's okay to not have the, all the answers or even many answers to be honest with you um you talk to a lot of people who've reached success once again, it's always relative, but they've reached high levels of competency, whether they're professional athletes, successful business owners, you know, um, uh, an individual who has an amazing family life, and they didn't always have all the answers, but they figured it out. And I think that's one of the amazing things that we all possess is the ability to have resiliency and putting in consistent efforts will pay off. That doesn't mean it's always going to be tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, maybe it takes you five years right? I mean, we know Rome wasn't built in a day, right? The, the classic saying with that. But at least they, that's what we're told. At least that what we're told. Yeah, <laughs> we don't really know what really went on. And that's, that's a whole different conversation. But I think a lot of this stems from our education. I think a lot of it stems from school. You know, we were taught right answers and wrong answers. We were taught this is what you should expect. You should be, you know, a 4.0 student is a straight A student. You should be having an, an, an understanding or at least a really good idea when you're in high school of where you, what you want to be when you get older. You need to pursue that. You college, you go get a degree. And so, my question is, how many people actually use their degrees? It's very few, right? I mean, there are people who I went to school with who are doctors now who had history backgrounds. They studied theater. They studied, um, you know, uh, political science. I mean, does that stuff does that have to do anything with medicine? No, but. Yes, they're well-rounded. They're, they have a diverse background. They can relate to a lot of people. Like there's always an advantage to that. And so I think inherently we have to kind of change the early conversations that we're having is, is understanding that you will always be evolving. And that's a very, very good thing. The moment that I stop evolving is, and I'm thoroughly convinced of this, is the day that I stop challenging the status quo or stop going to be a better version of myself is really the day where I start taking steps backwards. And we know what happens with people who start going into those kind of components is, you know, let's you, you work your whole life and all of a sudden you retire and now you don't have much to do or your, all your ideals or your 
you know, identity was packed into this job that you had. And now that it's gone, who are you? Where do you go? A lot of professional athletes struggle with this when they're in their thirties and forties and they're considered too old to play their sport. They're washed up. Imagine feeling washed up in your thirties or forties. That's a real psychological component that a lot of professional athletes have to deal with. Not only do they have all the structural issues and maybe chronic pain. And if you played contact sports, maybe you've got some neurological stuff going on too, but feeling like you are on the downslope of, of going down that mountain. That's a very, very scary and a very intimidating component that a lot of people really struggle with. And it doesn't have to be professional athletes. It could be you having a company for 10 years or you, you know, loving a career and all of a sudden feeling like it's over with. Um, life is just too short to sit back and, and, and watch. And so with expectations and trying to know everything, we kind of set ourselves up for failure because I always went through life going about it from a standpoint of, I don't want to close doors. You know, I don't, I don't want to, I want to keep everything open. I don't want to shut myself off from an opportunity, but that served me very well, but it's also made me vulnerable to wanting to do everything and not also be able to pursue one thing that I know will pay off five or 10 years down the road. And so I learned that relatively early in my life. And there's still components where I kind of get shiny object syndrome of being like, oh, well, you know, maybe it'd be great to go choose and do this or do that. And there's always a time and a place for that. I'm a firm believer. But when you find out what your passion is and what your values align with your personal mission, you know, there's just no question about that. You kind of get into this, this, um, this zone, as they would call it, right? This flow state, as Chexy Mihaly would call it, where you, you just, you are, you're on, you're doing, you don't even have to think about it. You're just going and you're, you're in the process. You're able to do what you want to do. And finding that flow state is, is so difficult. But when you're there and when you find it, it's amazing. You, it, it's something that it gives you a sense of fulfilling that you haven't been able to feel with anything else. And I think expectations sometimes are very difficult for us to accomplish. And so I love Tony Robbins kind of quote on this where he goes, I, I trade my expectations for appreciations. I appreciate that I have even the opportunity to go about and be on this podcast. I appreciate the fact that I have the opportunity today to have life, you know, have the opportunity to be able to challenge my thoughts and have a conversation with, you know, whoever's listening and, and with you, Oleg, there's so many ways that we can flip that narrative on ourselves to really think about the glass being half full instead of half empty. And so, you know, all this comes down to psychology and creating healthy habits and really pushing the agenda for ourselves to see how far can I go? And, you know, to be honest with you, I love having a doctorate. I love doing what I do. I love pursuing um, the goals that I've, that I've chosen to pursue, but I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I get older. And I hope that I continue to carry that thought process with me until a day I get put downstairs and get carried upstairs by the big man. So we'll see. We'll see what we'll see what life has in store for me. And with that open perspective, I hope that that will bring more opportunities and more places for me to go visit and see and travel to and more people to meet. And that to me is a life worth living. How do you process that? How do you process the need to figure it out? Is that a need of yours? Do, do you ever find yourself in those situations where I, I hope I can just figure that thing out, grab it, make it tangible. Because I know that sometimes, and this is where I think you and I maybe share a similar mindset. I try to be as open-minded as possible when it comes to opportunities, which is also, it's interesting that you pointed out the other part. And I heard a similar thing through a, another commencement speech. This one, I was at a, in person, I think it was my brother graduating. 
and the speaker had mentioned, or he was talking about the concept of multitasking. And he said that the danger and the beauty of multitasking is that you get to experience many things. The danger of it is that it becomes that much harder to figure out that one thing because now you have 50 different passions going at the same time. I like this, but I also like that. This is also interesting. So I'm, I'm being curious how people manage that. Talk about expectations. How do you personally manage that element of the experience in knowing that you may never figure out that one thing? You may never find that one line statement that clearly articulates your purpose in life. For me, it's a daily decision because I still am who I am. I would still love to have everything figured out. I would love if somebody, and if there's anybody out there who wants to write my life roadmap for me and tell it to me, I'd really appreciate that. But I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Nobody knows me better than me. Um, and so going through that has really come down to me formulating and being very intentional with the habits that I create. If I want to be as healthy as possible, what does that mean? Well, I know that I have to exercise every day. I know that I have to eat well. I know that spiritually and emotionally, I have to take care of myself. You know, daily practice of meditation and breathing and being intentional with my thoughts is something that I do every single day because I have to. And of course, I'll slip at times. But when I when I create these habits, it's automatic for me. You know, I don't have to think about these things anymore. They're in the basement level of the house. They're no longer upstairs where I'm having to weed through all the storage to try and get to that one item that I'm looking for. Um, if I want to have good relationships, I have to be intentional with that. I have to communicate effectively. I have to be a really good listener because really good communicators are phenomenal listeners. You have to listen and be intentional with how you are perceiving a message before you can actually respond to it. And so many of us listen to speak and very few of us truly listen to understand. So you, I think habit formation and understanding where you can modify and vastly change your life is through daily decisions with your habits. And so I would say that's been a huge thing for me. And more so importantly too, is living every day to the fullest. I don't know when I'm going to get taken out. And so I want to live my life every day with as much passion and grit and intention and determination as possible. Some days are better than others, right? A Monday morning might not be as much fun for me as a Thursday morning or a Saturday morning, but that doesn't mean I'm going to stop. It means I have to figure out ways to do as much as I can with what I've got for resources. And some days, some days the tank is full. Other days, you know, you're, you're, at, you're at that 0% you know, baseline where you're like, well, I don't have anything left in me but you find a way to do it. So I think challenging just who you are and where you're at in your life is something that is so difficult, but so rewarding. I've had to call myself out on so many different factors, personally, professionally, psychologically, who I think I am, what I'm capable of. And I was very fortunate to come from an amazing uh, family who supported me and pushed me and drove me and allowed me the flexibility to pursue my passions. Um, you know, looking for that one thing, Gary Keller wrote a great book called The One Thing. And I think it's a phenomenal read. He talks about his journey and how when he was doing so many things at once, you know, he to a point was vulnerable like the Roman Empire, right? He was, he was so big and so vast, uh, yet unfortunately he wasn't able to really accomplish what he accomplished. But until he kind of doubled and tripled down on a couple of things that he knew he was passionate about, but more importantly, he was good at, right? Um, I think that's a really big factor. I love playing guitar. I love being in a cover band. I know I'm not going to be playing, you know, um, Wembley Stadium anytime soon because I'm not that good, right? There's just no, I don't, I don't have the time to put in the energy, the resources, 
um, you know, I don't, I just don't have that bandwidth, but I love playing guitar. It's, it's a passion and it's fulfilling for me, but that's not my career choice. That's not what I'm going to start spending all my time and energy doing because it's, it's not going to take me to where I want to be. I don't want to live a life on the road, traveling and being a touring musician. I want to have a family. I want to, you know, have a place to call home. I want to come hang with my dog at night and maybe watch a Netflix show to wind down. Those are things that I value and those are my beliefs. And I've intentionally created that life based off of that. So it's easy to get the shiny object syndrome. And I think especially following any, you know, Instagram or Facebook account where people are making tons of money and doing all these things and their life seems so simple. It really isn't, you know, it's so easy to see the best version of people um, that they actively project to you, right? You don't have a webcam seeing into their house of when they're struggling or when they don't look dolled up or when they're not wearing the best clothes or having a good day. If you saw that, you'd realize very quickly that we're all humans. And when you get back to those basics, you, you can, you can own your outcomes and your choices not always, but for the most part. And life's gonna hand you things that you never signed up for. It all matters how you ride that wave and, and the decisions you make after that and really what you learn from it. And I'm a big believer that you know, our brains are fully capable of learning anything and everything possible. You just have to do it, go at it with intention. Tell us a little bit more about what you are doing at Nobody Studios and what are some ways that people can connect with you and your work? So I am the co-founder of Health and Wellness for Nobody's Studios, and Nobody's Studios is a venture studio based out of Orange County, California. And for those of you who don't know what a venture studio is, a venture studio is essentially a combination of VC and incubation. So VC, venture capital, raising money, investing in companies, uh, giving capital to, uh, you know, startups in that space. So we have a wing that's a venture capital wing, and we also have an incubation wing. Think of Y Combinator is a really well-known uh, incubator. And in our incubation wing, we are startup artisans. We are ideating, innovating, and creating people-first companies. And our goal with that is to create 100 companies in the next five years. And not just 100 companies that are going to make money or be profitable. These are 100 companies that are going to be people-first and socially backed. And what I mean by that is that these are companies that will help positively influence people. And whether that's in health and wellness, whether that's in business, fintech, real estate, social media, we have so many different sectors within our studio. And I think that's what gives us such an advantage is we're diverse. And individuals who invest in the studio are actually investors in every single company we crank out. So let's say you were an investor in our studio, you could, you could have equity in a, in a real estate company and also in a health and wellness company, but also in a fintech company as well. And the advantage of what we're providing is that we are allowing individuals who wouldn't be candidates to be investors in a VC firm, unless you had a couple million dollars in the bank and had a rap sheet that they want to bring you in for. We're allowing people to invest in our company with $10. a lower tier to get into these companies because our goal is to build a crowd following, to build people who are passionate about our studio, to help give us ideas, to help give us feedback. Our goal is to radically change the way that we create startups because the startup space right now is very crowded. Evaluations are very high. And a lot of these companies inevitably fail because they don't have the bandwidth or the grit or the bootstrapping capabilities to truly go out and prove their model and get feedback from users to make sure that they're building a product that people want. Case in point, well, like you and I are not going to try and reinvent the VCR. 
There's no reason for you and I to go about that. No matter how many bells and whistles we put together with it, people don't want it. So there's no point in you and I going to raise money for it. Why would we even ideate in that space? We could change things, but that wouldn't be anything that would be valuable to, to, to society. Our goal with Nobody Studio is just to create those companies. And we will. Our team is full of people that I would have never thought I would have had the opportunity to work with. People who are from Microsoft and Cisco and various startups uh, in, in the space. We have um, our ideation and innovation um, officers, Barry O'Reilly, who is a consultant for so many Silicon Valley startups. Uh, Donald Farmer worked at Microsoft for about 10 or 14 years and was very close with uh, Bill Gates. We have an amazing group of leaders in this company that have, have been there before. And our CEO, Mark McNally, is a top-notch individual. He was a part of a large company that um, went public in the early 90s during the get.com. He said 14 startups under his belt, former U.S. military uh, veteran and special ops. And, and Mark named the studio Nobody's Studios because he didn't want it to be about him. He wanted it to be about everybody that we are going to be affecting and involving in our process. So I'm just so grateful to be a part of the studio. Our goal, like I said, is to radically change medicine, health and wellness, and giving people the quality of life that they deserve, that they may not have access to now. So we're in the process uh, towards the end of this month of July, we're going to be starting a crowdfunding uh, round where people can freely invest however little or however much they want to be a part of the studio. And they'll essentially gain equity in the studio um, as being part of that process. So we're so excited to have people on board. We can't wait to get feedback from them. And more importantly, too, we just can't wait to change the face of how startups are created and how we can help more people in the process, too. And that's, for me, at the end of the day, why I signed up for this is because it's about people and it's about building people first companies. And I think that that's going to be the wave of the future. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.